Hello, hello. Today I'm going to talk about how to succeed in the PhD candidacy exam. So now PhD candidacy, that is the name of the exam uh, that I had at Ohio State for my PhD. Um, this was before I became a PhD candidate. So it's kind of like a mini defense, after which you go from being a normal graduate student to a PhD candidate, after which you still have to finish your PhD to get your PhD. However, the PhD candidacy exam is when, at least at Ohio State, you get your master's degree. So, you know, as you know, I was in a PhD program at Ohio State for five years, and that consisted of, uh, you know, five years of, you know, class and research and teaching and everything. And this PhD candidacy exam generally happens in our department, uh, that is the physics department of Ohio State, uh, usually at this, during the second summer, However, I actually did this during uh, the fall that is following that second summer because I was a little bit late because I switched research groups. And generally, you do your candidacy exam with the research group that you have settled on that you're going to get your PhD from. And so since I was uh, doing lab rotations and switched research groups a few times, this process was delayed for me. However, I will say, and I also talk about this in my book and other blogs on, the, on my website, howtophd.org that I finished my PhD still in five years total. So it's not that because you uh, switch research groups, you are doomed and delayed forever, okay? So anyway, as far as the PhD candidacy exam, this can be a very scary exam for new graduate students. So graduate students that are in their first year, second year, really fear this exam because, you know, this is uh, like a major hurdle that they have to get over, that, that they have to get through before they can proceed to being PhD candidates and generally, uh, it means a couple different things. So, you you know, you get your master's degree. It generally means that you're done with classes and you're going to focus more solely on research. And one of the things that happened at Ohio State is once you become a PhD candidate by passing the PhD candidacy exam, um, you can actually, I think your tuition goes down. So generally, advisors are not uh, willing to pay you unless you have passed the PhD candidacy exam because they, you're more expensive on their research grants before you pass. So uh, after you pass, uh, your tuition goes down. You don't have to be, uh, basically your class requirements are different. And so you are cheaper to the research advisor and they are more willing to pay you. Before that, basically for me, until I became a PhD candidate, until I was, uh, I, I was able to pass the PhD candidacy exam, which I did pass, in one shot, thank goodness, um, I, I basically had to keep teaching. So I was teaching for the entire time, uh, except for the two summers, uh, until I became a PhD candidate. So I, I taught uh, physics classes for undergraduates in the first semester of grad school, in the second semester of grad school, not that first summer. And then again, the second uh, year, the fall semester of the second year, the spring semester of the second year, and not in the summer, but again in the fall. So when I was taking my candidacy exam, I was in classes because I had uh, switched fields. And so I had to take more classes and I was teaching and I was preparing for this candidacy exam, which generally people, generally students have a summer free from teaching or uh, classes to prepare for the candidacy exam. And by the way, the PhD candidacy exam in some schools, in some departments, it's called the prelim. So maybe that will make more sense to you if you're used to uh, hearing about the prelim or preliminary exam. So this is, you know, this is sort of a rite of passage, basically like 
This is when you go from a normal, ordinary graduate student to a more serious uh, PhD student, a PhD candidate. Um, sometimes it's called passing the prelims. Sometimes it's called passing the candidacy exam. And I think the process is pretty similar um, department to department. So hopefully what I cover here is still useful to you, even if um, it sounds kind of, you know, different, different from what you're used to hearing about. So, and all I can say is that uh, some of the things will be common, like you're grilled during this candidacy exam, just like you would be grilled during a prelim. So I think as far as the scary part, you will find in common for sure with other graduate students, like every graduate student has had to go through this. Um, they have to deal with criticism and they have to deal with not knowing things and learning things and having a very uh, steep learning curve when they're still new, right? In your first and second year, this is this can be a very tough position to be in and I'm here to help you with that uh, exact problem. So if you're worrying about the PhD candidacy exam or prelim, I mean, of, of course, I, I totally get it. I was worried too. I was very scared. And until I was done with it, you really don't know that, you know, that you'll be successful. What if you're one of those few people who fail? And, you know, I do know people who failed and now those people have PhDs and, uh, you know, they're successful and some of them are professors. Like, so don't even, don't even worry about that whole aspect, right? Failing is just failing is just failing. If you fail something, you uh, get an opportunity. So for the PhD candidacy exam, at least at Ohio State, you get another opportunity to pass. And, uh, you know, that doesn't not. So if you fail it, does not mean the end of the world. And most people pass anyway. And if you follow the, the guidance that I'm going to talk about here in this uh, episode, you will pass. OK, so don't try to uh, get the support you need and. Uh, that's exactly what I cover here. So I cover everything from what is candidacy uh, to what a first year graduate student should be focusing on and what to do on the day of your actual exam. So everything, all of the aspects uh, of this exam, I'm going to cover here. So it's, a, it's an exam. The candidacy exam is an exam, as is in the name of, of this thing. So get ready to study, right? And I am sure that you are ready to study because you're a doctoral student. Like, I mean, if you're doing your PhD, of course, you understand that you have to study. So that's that's the main, the main, main uh, takeaway here. You have to be in that attitude to study, to work hard and to get help. Those are the main things that I'm going to cover here. And of course, first of all, make sure to visit your school's official website, where they actually list what the what the requirements are. So what are the requirements for passing the prelim? What are the requirements for passing the candidacy exam? Whatever it's called in your specific graduate program, make sure to visit your specific graduate program's website or get help from an administrative professional, someone who can tell you exactly what you have to do to uh, pass, right? So like, don't take anything for granted. Don't uh, assume anything. First of all, to succeed in something, you want to know what it's going, going to take. You want to know what the requirements are. And I would very strongly suggest that you figure that out, that you know exactly what you're, you have to do. Like it's not about being uh, in, you know, super bright or smart or anything. It's about knowing what it's going to take and then executing what is what it is going to take. And then you will be successful. Like there's no there's no magic here. It's not like you're, you know, born to pass or fail the candidacy exam. It's, it's all about the work ethic and what you can execute. And if you know what the requirements are. So there's no other uh, big secret here, you know? 
So I share my personal experience and guideline here. Obviously, uh, I, again, I went to Ohio State University and I got my PhD in physics there. So the department was physics. The subfield was particle astrophysics. So of course, what I'm saying may be a little bit biased towards uh, what I went through myself, but I still think that it's pretty general and worth sharing uh, with everybody, okay? So what is the PhD candidacy exam? What is it? Like for me, it was a six-week formal exam required by the graduate school. So it wasn't just about the department. It was actually the graduate school of Ohio State requires this six-week formal exam. And, you know, there is a specific start date and a specific end date, and it's generally a six-week period. So basically what happens is your advisor uh, slash your committee uh, chooses a topic um, and it's typically not something that you've worked on. So say you started research, you, you come in as a graduate student and you're doing some work uh, in a lab. The candidacy topic may or may not be exactly what you've been doing. It could be something totally new. In fact, it's more likely for it to be something kind of new, something that you'd, you'll have to learn for the first time during that six week period that I'm talking about. OK, and so that's cool. And it, it's an opportunity to learn about something and if you like the topic, so much the better. Um, and it's uh, so for me, for example, it was not something I had worked on, not really something I knew, but it was good for me to know. So hopefully they will choose a topic that you don't know yet or may know something about, but it's good for you to know. So it's not a waste of time. You're not, you're not like wasting six weeks doing something that will never be useful to you again. Hopefully this is something that will all make sense. Um so basically what you do is this is a new topic that you have to learn and become a mini expert off in six weeks time. So you do a literature review, maybe some calculations, like become a mini expert on this assigned topic. Like this is going to be a topic that will require a lot of literature review on your part. And then the deliverables, at least for me, was a 20 page paper at the end of four weeks and a talk at the end of six weeks. So that is the talk is basically the oral exam. That's the sort of the defense part of um the candidacy exam so the so they're basically the two things that are due is a paper and a talk and of course you know writing the paper can be tough if you've not written a paper like this before um and giving the talk can also be difficult because it's also an oral exam so you're getting asked all sorts of questions so this whole process can be very very scary to people now of course when you've been through some, something like this like i've been through this and my defense and now i have a job this really does not seem very difficult to me right now, but I remember the day, I remember the days when it did seem tough and that's why I'm here for you now. So the talk, especially the talk slash the oral exam makes students very nervous because in our case, at least they can be asked any question from the assigned topic and any anything in context like for me, it was physics. So basically any physics question could be asked during this oral exam. So like it could be something super basic and super just if whatever the committee thinks you should know. So basically at this candidacy exam, the oral exam, it's not just the topic. You could be asked any related physics questions and it could really be quite open ended and that can be kind of unnerving, you know, like when you when you don't have as much experience, when you're not as a seasoned of a researcher, of course, it's unnerving. But trust me, you'll get there. And the candidacy exam is just uh, the beginning of, you know, a, a long road of you becoming the expert um, that 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 you will be. OK, so 
Um, in my program, the talk is given only to the candidacy committee. In some, uh, some, some programs, this talk part, the oral exam may even be open to the public. For us, it was only given to the committee. So there's just the four people from your committee that, that, that's, that's present at the talk and they can ask you questions at any time throughout the talk. And it's the whole point is that it's an exam. So you're uh, you know, fielding their questions and trying to uh, work through what they're asking. So before I get into more details of this candidacy process, which is absolutely what I'm here to do, uh, before I get into it in more detail and in more uh, give you more uh, detailed help, I actually want to talk about what you should be doing if you're a first year graduate student. Okay, so pause for a second if you're a first year graduate student. First of all, if you're a totally new graduate student in your first year, first things first, please, please, please focus on finding a good PhD advisor. Okay, so before you get into this whole candidacy topic business, you need to first find a good PhD advisor. If you think you haven't found your match for a research group slash a research topic slash a research advisor, then you need to keep looking and candidacy is not what you should be worrying about. You should first worry about the advisor. And this is very, 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 very important for your success, including but not limited to the success of your candidacy exam right? Like if you don't have the support of your advisor at every step of your career, it's just not going to be very, uh, it's just not going to be, I, I hate to say it, but I think it won't be possible to succeed. The advisor just holds that much power and control over the situation. So you don't want a super toxic advisor. You don't want a really bad unsupportive advisor because that's how much you depend on them for everything. So Professor, so find someone, find the professor with whom you feel relatively comfortable to interact with regularly and ask questions. That's the number one thing. You need to find a PhD advisor who you are comfortable with interacting and asking questions and learning from. If you don't have that comfort level with that person, it's going to be so difficult. And those five, six years are going to be such so long, you know, this is a very long relationship, a long-term relationship. So you want to first find your right fit, because if you don't do that, then what are we even doing here? Why, why don't even think about candidacy, all of these things, the entire PhD process is very difficult. So you, and the number one thing that drives that difficulty level, because I know you're good, right? You're a hardworking, good researcher. That's how you got here. But if you don't have the right amount of support, uh, academia is a big bad world where, unfortunately, things can make, things can be very difficult and hard uh, to work out, even if you're a really good and bright student. Okay, so finding a good professor is number one uh, importance, number one priority for you in your first year. And next priority is. Um, uh, and of course, so you want to find someone who is nice and who will help you and who is supportive and you're very comfortable with them. Next is they need to have research money or the ability to get TA support for you. So like, you know, if they don't have any money to pay you, nor can they get you TA support, well, then how are you going to sustain yourself during the PhD, right? So of course, they need to have research money. And the last thing is they need to have project ideas that interest you. And I know as a researcher, of course, you want to be doing things that interest you. But it's not 
going to work out if the professor is not supportive and it's not going to work out if they don't have money. So please prioritize doing those things first, making sure that you like the professor, making sure that they have money to pay you before you jump into a project and make it your long-term uh, project during your PhD. Okay, so that's your job as a first year grad student. As a first year grad student, think of this as dating. You're not going to, you know, don't marry someone after the first date. Like you are trying to figure out what is a good fit for you, what will support you and your life throughout this PhD. And it's it's not even that, it's beyond that, right? It, the, the entire, your entire career going forward is going to be defined by this. So please, please, please make sure you find a good professor who is a good fit for you. If they make you miserable, they're not a good fit for you. And you should move on and find someone else. That's like, just like in uh, long-term relationships, you know, you uh, may need to date quite a bit before you find someone who is the right fit for you. Same thing with a research advisor, okay? Same thing. You want to prioritize finding someone who's a good fit, finding someone who has money for you, and lastly, finding research topics that interest you. And all of those things need to work out for your PhD to work out. I'm so sorry to say, all of these things have to work out. Uh, everything has to be aligned. A PhD isn't just going to fall uh, fall down from a tree, you know? Like a PhD is very tough. And you need all of these things to work out. And that's why I say in your first year, go in with this expectation, have this mentality to have these types of things figured out before you even bother going forward. Okay. And remember that if things don't work out with your PhD, you can always leave with a master's. So many people in this world don't have a PhD and they're doing completely fine. There's no such thing as you have to get a PhD. Okay. Okay. Um, all right. If you're a second year graduate student, hopefully you have found a good PhD advisor. If not, keep looking or get out of the program. I'm so sorry to say you need to keep looking or get out of the program. If there is nobody that you like, if there's no good fit for you in that department, in that program, you need to get out and do other things. There are plenty of other things you can be doing. A PhD is not worth doing unless you have found a good match for a PhD advisor. According to me, I'm so sorry. I changed groups three times. I found a good match in my fourth group and I got my PhD in five years. And that's all very lucky. And things uh, aligned at the end, you know, in the end, and it all worked out for me. But I don't expect that it will work out every time for everyone. So I just hope that you find a good fit. Otherwise, get out and do something else with your life because your life is precious and I don't want you to be miserable. Um, and usually you take the candidacy exam with the professor you hope to get your PhD from. So don't even worry about candidacy until you've found your match. You know, personally, as I said, I found my match for a PhD advisor in the fourth group I tried out in graduate school. And this delayed my candidacy exam by a few months, which is really not a big deal. It is so much more big of a deal to actually find the right group where you will feel completely safe and your best self and prepared to do the best work that you have ever done. And that is what it takes to get a PhD. So if you cannot find that, I I would say pause and find that or get out of the program. Okay, so your PhD candidacy exam committee. Usually, so when you're doing candidacy, that is also when you get to actually form your committee, right? You um, need a committee for your PhD. The committee is also present, pre present at the defense of your PhD. So this is when 
you start to form your committee. So for us at Ohio State, it was usually comprising of four professors as follows. Number one, of course, advisor. You choose this person. So remember, you choose your advisor. So make that choice very carefully. And if the choice doesn't work out the first couple times, keep looking. Number two, so say your advisor is an experimentalist. Usually at Ohio State for physics, we would have the second person on the committee be an in-field experimentalist. And the advisor generally recommends this person. So you don't have a whole lot of choice uh, in selecting this person. Number three is generally an in-field theorist. And again, the advisor recommends this person too. So you start to see how much your advisor plays an important role, right? The advisor controls a lot in your PhD. So, you know, you're giving your life up to someone. So please pick that person very carefully. Number four is usually usually an out-of-field professor and you might choose this person. So number four. So number one, number four, you might be able to uh, number one, you choose, and number four, you might be able to choose, but number two and three on the committee are generally chosen by the advisor herself or himself. Um, so for your out-of-field person, uh, the fourth person that's on your committee, this is someone that you're, you know, choose someone you're relatively comfortable with. Ideally, a professor who would have loved to be your advisor, the next best thing is to be on your committee. So I said that I had uh, switched groups a few times. So actually a lot of the people that I had worked with before uh, were on my committee. So it's, it's important, it's very nice and important and critical to foster good professional relationships with multiple professors in your department, not just your advisor. So, uh, so yeah, your advisor has the most control, has the most power as far as your PhD is concerned. But at the same time, you want to foster good relationships across the department with other professors because they might have uh, sort of an indirect influence on the matter and, and, you, and you need people on your committee. So for those reasons, it's good to uh, do that. Since I worked with multiple professors in the department and maintained great professional relationships with all of them, most of my committee ended up being professors I had directly worked with at some point. So it was really funny. Basically, my committee was mostly made up of people who I'd already worked with. So it was really good, actually. Like, I wasn't unfamiliar with any of them. So it was really nice. Like, it was like one big happy family. And when they cannot be our advisor, the next best thing is to, to be on your committee. So, so you know, the thing I was saying, switch research groups. If you don't find the right fit, move on. Doesn't mean that you have to burn a bridge. That person you worked with and who is, um, you know, maybe in a different research uh, field or something can still be on your committee, depending on uh, how your committee is formed. Okay, so you can do all sorts of things. You can leverage every connection you ever make. Just remember that. Um, candidacy is hard work either way. But familiarity with your committee members actually can go a very long way to make this process seem less scary. You know, so when the four professors who are grilling you at the oral exam, when you actually know them and know kind of what they're like and you know what they uh, love and what they care about, this can help you uh, feel more comfortable with that uh, whole process. Okay, so then as far as timing your candidacy exam, time it right. So professors are busy. You want to ask them, if you're asking them to be on your committee, you want to ask them like three, four months in advance. Like schedule your exam on a day and time that works well for you. It's your exam. It's your PhD candidacy exam. You don't want to, you know, do it last minute or something when you're not prepared. So you should schedule it 
and then make sure that your oral exam is on your committee members' calendars, on your on their schedules. If one of the committee members is a very hard to get professor, like the chair of the department or something, like one of my committee members was actually the chair, talk to their assistant for scheduling. Don't try to talk to them for scheduling because they're too busy and they don't know what their calendar is, but their assistant will know. And don't rest until he or she, that is the assistant, has your exam on the professor's schedule. Okay, um, please do that. Please, the, the little things in life matter a lot. Once you get the topic from your advisor for your prelim or for your candidacy exam, remember that you are not alone. So this is actually the main theme of what I'm about, what I'm going to talk about uh, next. So as you know, PhD students can become very isolated, especially senior graduate students. So one thing to start practicing right from the beginning and your candidacy exam is a great time to start implementing it, is to realize that you're not alone. The PhD candidacy exam is not meant to be a solo journey, so don't make it one. You will need help, and so get ready to ask for help. So think of this time as a time when you become very shameless and don't care about embarrassment, and you start asking for help, asking for help as needed whenever you need, okay? Ask, so first things first, Ask clarification from your advisor slash committee on the topic. Like say you received this topic, right? Like I received this topic in an email, in a letter. It was super formal. And then I had questions about that topic. Like, you, you, you know, you want to clarify everything. What are their expectations broadly? What outlines should your paper follow? Communicate profusely. So like communicate, communicate, communicate. Ask questions, ask for help. That will be the process for your um, candidacy exam that will lead to success. Like if you do guesswork, if you don't communicate, if you try to be too independent and never ask for help, that is when you are more at risk to fail. When you ask for help, when you communicate, everybody knows you're trying and you will know better about what to do, about what it takes to succeed by asking, by asking questions, by asking for help. And that's how you succeed. Okay. This is not about trying to be a solo um, traveler or whatever. And especially, you know, say your advisor or your committee, they pick the topic. They want to see that you're interested in it. Everybody likes to know that what they picked, what they chose is interesting to you, right? So if, you know, if you ask questions, um, they, they will be happy to answer and ask away they will tell you when they cannot tell you something. So you might be like, oh, you know, this is an exam. I don't want to ask too many questions. That makes me look like, you know, I'm asking too many things and uh, trying to ha get it, you know, have an easy way out. That is not the case. If you ask questions, that just shows that your your level of interest and that you're willing to learn and that you're willing to do whatever it takes to succeed. That does not mean that you're asking for favors. Right. And if they if there is something that they cannot tell you because of whatever reason, they will tell you that they cannot tell you. They're all professionals. So don't worry and just ask. OK. The next big thing, which is in the same theme as asking for help, is find the local expert. Your candidacy topic is not something you've worked on directly. Right. But someone else in the department probably has. So this is the major breakthrough moment for you. You realize that you have got six weeks to become a mini expert on this topic that you know nothing about, but 
someone else in the department does. And what you need to do is you need to find that person as soon as possible. You need to find the person who does know about this topic. Because remember, you have to do a literature search. You have to become a mini expert on this topic. It will be much more efficient of a process if you find the person who is already an expert in this topic. So ask around if needed. Maybe you don't know who is this expert. Maybe it's a professor you don't know yet or a postdoc or a senior grad student. But find the local expert of this topic. Someone that will know the literature on this topic way, way, way better than you. Meet with that local expert. Take their suggestions. Okay. And you want to do this early on. You want to do this like right away. As soon as you get your topic, you need to start scheduling your meeting with the local expert. Like figure out who the local expert is. Step one. Step two, meet with them. Next is start working on your paper on week one. So you think, you might think, oh, I have four weeks to write this paper and then you give the talk, right? Don't, mm -mm. start writing the paper week one. You don't want to wait till the end, uh, you know, towards the, four, towards the fourth week, third week, whatever, to start writing your paper. No, start working on the paper right away. Don't wait till week three. Start writing or at least making notes as you're reading, as you're studying. You will read a lot during candidacy, but everything you will read will be new. Something you read during week one, you might forget during week two. So that's so inefficient and that's not going to work out. Write it down, like make notes, flashcards, whatever works for you, but find a way to easily revisit the things you have read and noted to be important or have questions about or want to include in your paper and basically like start writing your paper and it doesn't have to be polished in week one but you need to start writing during week one and it's when you revisit a point and think about it again or differently that you really learn it right so like say you learned something say you came across something during week one that was confusing during week one you might have to revisit that during week two week three to really learn it okay so personally, I had to go at the literature and made a list of all the things I did not understand or had questions about during, uh, like, right at the beginning. Then I attacked this list and slowly went through and looked up or worked out everything I did not know. So first, as you're going through the literature, as you're learning, 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 you can make a list. You know, you don't have to understand everything during week one. What you can do is just keep track of the things that you're going through that you're not understanding, that you are learning but don't fully understand, that you're confused about, that you have questions about. And then when I went to meet with my local expert, I already had topics I wanted to go over with him. So there was a local expert for my topic. My topic was high energy neutrinos from gamma ray bursts. And I knew nothing about this topic. I didn't know anything about gamma ray bursts before my candidacy topic. And now I love that topic. But anyway, that's besides the point. But anyway, I went to meet with my local expert expert uh, towards, I think, the, towards the end of my first week uh, of candidacy exam. And when I went to meet with him, I already had topics I wanted to go over with him because, because you know, the local expert, after all, is not going to have infinite time for you. You are requesting them to spend some time with you to ask them questions and learn from them, but you want to make proper and good utilization of the time that, that you have with them, right? Even like I met with him on the first day for about two hours and over the course of my candidacy, maybe a total of three hours. So my candidacy was six weeks long and I met with the local expert for three hours. Now, but the thing is, 
just you will be surprised how much you can learn from an expert even in a few hours that's the that's the that's the wonderful thing the fact that he is the local expert there is the win for you right like he knows he or she knows more about this topic than anyone else maybe in the world and that's a great thing and and you just have to leverage that and and having a few hours with this huge expert can tell you so much can teach you so much uh, that you wouldn't learn otherwise, uh, even over the course of a long period of time. So don't, don't, don't forget to track down the expert on your topic, please. This is the most important thing. You want to find the expert on this topic and you want to ask them questions. You want to schedule time, you know, a call or, you know, meet with them, uh, you know, if it's not a pandemic like right now, but like I actually was able to meet with my expert and in a few hours, ask him all these questions. And that's the other, the next part is you want to be prepared with your questions and the topics that confuse you the most, because you've already started studying this topic. And there's going to be some things that you don't understand uh, as, you know, as much, there's going to be some things that are harder than others. And those are the things that you especially want to um, go over with the experts, because they will be able to answer hard questions, the, the, the ones that are confusing you, um, that the ones that are confusing in general, it's not that, you know, that that you're stupid, it's just that some things are harder than others. And you have some hope of actually understanding it, when the expert is present, and you can ask them, um, questions. Just make very good use of the time that you have with that expert by already being prepared and having a list of questions for them that you especially want to cover. The next thing is get early and regular feedback on the paper. So for me, um, my advisor actually gave feedback on the paper. Now, this is not the case with every advisor. My advisor, uh, she's very hands-on, you know, she gives a lot of feedback on everything. So if your advisor slash committee, whoever, whoever ex you're expecting comments from, whoever you're going to iterate with, right, right, whoever you're um, expecting feedback from, if that person or persons um, likes to give a lot of feedback, then that feedback flow needs to start in week one, not week three. Or it will be very overwhelming. I mean, I mean, what I'm talking about here is completely practical stuff. Like if you get bombarded with a bunch of feedback uh, on week three and the paper is due soon after, like how are you going to improve the paper? Like they want the feedback is there. The feedback you're getting is to improve your paper so that your paper doesn't suck. Most students are worse scientific writers than they think they are. So it is very essential to incorporate your advisor plus groups plus whoever else's feedback into your paper to make it better. I actually recommend that you get feedback from multiple sources, like, you know, definitely, definitely your advisor, if they're doing that, maybe some of your committee members, other uh, people in the research group, senior grad students, maybe someone who knows nothing about this topic and you just want them to read it to proofread and uh, get some feedback on how clear things are. You can also catch mistakes in your conceptual understanding by asking for feedback. Like say you've written something that's just totally wrong and you don't get it yet. You'll actually correct yourself. This feedback process will help you to learn. And, uh, uh, you know, you might think you know something well, but you will be surprised by how many misconceptions that you might have about this work that your research group does. And this is your time 
to during this PhD candidacy exam is when you clarify these things and learn them for good. And this can be a painful process of getting a lot of feedback and basically like feeling like shit. But hey, you're learning. Just remember, the more overwhelming it is, the more feedback you're getting, that that that's how that's how much you're improving your paper and improving your knowledge and updating yourself, you know? That's how much you're growing through this process. So so don't feel bad. Feedback is a part of life in science and uh, going forward as well, okay? Even after you get a job, you get feedback, like from your boss, like say on a presentation. So so iterating iterating on, on your paper is very, very normal. Don't think of it as a personal attack. I mean, of course, feedback sometimes can be toxic and can be given in a toxic manner, and I don't support that. But in general, if if you get feedback, that does not mean it's a bad thing. It means that you can improve. And the more you can improve with time, like if you have actually the time to improve because you're on top of things, because you asked for feedback and showed them drafts early on so that they can actually give you feedback that you can act on, the, the better off you will be, the better off your paper will be, and the more chance of you actually succeeding okay so make that feedback flow start to flow right away from week one okay next point is give a practice talk and this will be very painful as well schedule it a week before your real talk so you've got your real talk your real oral exam at the end of the six weeks or whatever you want to schedule your practice talk before obviously before the oral exam the real talk and you want it to be, you know, you want some time between the practice talk and the oral exam because you're going to learn the most during this last few days between your practice talk and the real talk. Invite everybody in the department, you know, invite everyone, everyone, just invite everyone because at least some will show up and just be prepared. It's going to be brutal. Have someone else take notes. So you're giving your talk, you're getting blasted with uh, criticism and questions and feedback and things that you should know that you don't know yet, blah, blah, blah. Take someone else that you trust, take, you know, get a, you know, get a friend, get a lab mate, whoever to take notes because you'll be too busy during your practice talk. So, and you don't want to miss anything, right? The things that the, the gaps that people find in your knowledge during a practice talk, that's going to save you during the real talk. Like make note of all your weaknesses and gaps in your knowledge. Learn it now between the practice talk and the real talk so that, you know, you know the answer in the real talk. Like, you know, that's what the practice talk is for. It's not to make you feel better. It's to prepare you, right? The practice talk is for practice. It's to prepare you so you can go home and learn more. It's not to tell you, oh, you've done a great job and you'll you'll pass it's to tell you, it's to find the gaps in your knowledge. And there will always be gaps in your knowledge, even after you have a PhD. But the more you learn, the more you make this a process of growth and learning, the better off you will be. So then after the practice talk, same same advice, study, study, study. I mean, no one does well on their practice talk. I did terribly. Like, oh my God, I went home and cried. I watched Jane the Virgin because actually I watched Jane the Virgin throughout my candidacy process. Like, I had to watch Jane the Virgin. You know, it's funny and nothing related to grad school. So, like, I uh, I had to watch that show to get through candidacy. I will just say that. So, you know, do what it, what you need to do to recover. Of course, like, be kind to yourself. Do the self-care that you need to do. Have a cry, take a bath, whatever. But then study. 
Study the topics that you're shaky on and didn't know during the practice talk. Study those things that were discovered to be, you know, that, that you discovered you were lacking knowledge in. Study the stuff that you didn't understand and couldn't answer and stumbled on during your practice talk because, you know, during this last week, you learned the most. You've gotten the ultimate feedback and now you have to act on it and you have to learn the things that you don't know yet. And then you will be prepared. Take this whole thing as a positive thing where you're learning. There's no such thing as, oh my God, I don't know anything. I'm stupid. There is only learning, growth and learning. Okay. Now, lastly, on D-Day. So this is the day of your candidacy exam. I know it's very nerve wracking. Um, what do you do on D-Day? So now, so this is the funny thing that happens on D-Day, right? You've, you've had six weeks to study this thing. You are a much bigger expert in this topic than you ever were before or you thought was possible. But now that you know more, you will know how little you know. This is the strange thing about having knowledge is that when you actually become an expert in something, you also start to understand how li little you know that you also start to understand the things you don't know better. Like when you don't know, when you don't know, you don't even know what you don't know. But when you start to know, now you know what you don't know. You know what I mean? Now you know what you don't know. And that is a whole another scary thing. If you're feeling beyond nervous, tell yourself to fake it till you make it. Okay. I know that's a stupid line, but like, just be confident and be professional. D-Day is about being a professional person. And guess what? Still being open to learning. That's what D-Day is about. Remember that the idea is to make your committee feel confident that you are ready to be a PhD candidate. Get to the exam early. Get familiar with the room, whiteboards, set up your talk. So you now have to do everything to make a good impression, to make your committee feel confident that you can do this, right? It's all about presentation, delivery, and acting on the spot, right? This is, you've done your preparation, you've done your studying, and now this is about delivery and, of course, still more learning. But the main thing is you have to perform now, right? So during the exam, this is what I would recommend. During the exam, station yourself near a whiteboard. Do not try to hide behind your talk. I know you've written a lovely talk and you just want to give the talk and go through your slides, but don't think that you can get away with hiding behind your talk. You will be made to work stuff out on the whiteboard because this is an exam. There will be tough questions. There will be things that you have to work out because you can't, you don't know the answer right away. You have to do math and you have to work it out on the whiteboard live in front of those four people. But guess what? You can do it. No crutches allowed. Don't even try. Like, don't even try to hide behind the talk because that is less professional and you want to bring your professional best to this talk, to this oral exam. You won't always have an immediate answer to their questions. Just be prepared for that. Be prepared to not know things. You will have to work it out on the board. I'm, you know, sorry, not sorry, but this is how it is, right? This is how it is. You're training to be a scientist and show that you're a professional and willing to work it out. If you don't know the answer right away, you're willing to work it out. That's why you're not hiding behind your talk. That's why you're near a whiteboard. Be ready, okay? Don't dilly-dally. Don't try to avoid it. Just take it, you know, fa face on, full on. Just get let this problem hit you in the face 
and survive. Okay, do your best. Like you don't know something, you feel flustered. Well, try anyway, try to work it out on the board anyway. And having this right, having this attitude, honestly, this is all, this is the entire thing. Having the right attitude where you are willing to learn, you are willing to work things out, you are willing to try, you are willing to try or die trying, that you're willing to succeed or die trying. I mean, that is the attitude of a PhD. And uh, if you can, you if you can have this attitude, then you you win and you will pass this exam. I can tell you that uh, your committee. And by the way, your committee wants you to succeed. It's it's more work for them if you fail, right? Be respectful. Be alert. Be attentive. Take their questions. Try to answer their questions. Work things out on the board. Get through your talk. Do this stuff, and if you do it. Well, you will pass and and no, nobody wants you to fail. They, you know, you have to come back for an exam. If you fail, it's more work for, their, for the committee, you know. And just remember, if you get stuck or flustered under questioning, they might throw you a lifeline. So the committee also wants you to pass and they might throw you some help. Recognize, utilize, and move on. Don't be humiliated. I mean, you will be humiliated, but don't let it um, paralyze you. That's what I'm trying to say. I know it's humiliating, right? I know it's difficult standing up there and, and, and stumbling and not knowing things and trying and thinking that you're stupid. I know all of this is very difficult, but recognize, utilize, move on. When you're trying really hard, when you have a really good attitude, everybody wants you to win. The whole world wants you to win. So, they will. They might try to help you. Honestly, my committee helped me. I mean, they threw me lifelines. The whole point at that point is to learn on the spot. Like I learned even during my defense. There were things that I had to learn during my defense. I'm not even kidding. Like I didn't know it and I had to work it out. I had to learn it right there on the spot. And they, they will throw you a lifeline and you just have to take it. You have to take help. That's the thing. You have to be open to help, take help. Uh, even during an exam, utilize that help and move on. Keep pushing through your talk. Keep pushing through the presentation. Um, and uh, I think I think you'll do really, really well. Carry a water bottle. Take some sips of water as needed. The PhD candidacy oral exam is exactly two hours long. Stay hydrated. St- you know, breathe. You can do this. If you do the things that I just talked about, which is basically having a right attitude, getting help, taking help, utilizing help, learning, you will pass, I can promise you, because nobody wants you to fail. Like, seriously, it's so much more work if you fail. So uh, please, please, please uh, follow these guidelines. I think they will help you in general in life as well. And I really wish you all the all the very best. And please let me know if you have any questions. Um, check out my blog, howtophd.org slash blog is the blog. I have a book, How to PhD the Graduate School Handbook on Amazon. It's often free. Um, and yeah, this is the podcast. I also have a YouTube channel if you search with my name. Uh, and I really, really hope that all of this helps you very much and gives you the support you need to succeed at all times during your PhD and beyond. Mwah! Love you.